Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Starting with the patrons shout outs, Michelle, Crystal, and Ashley, Jordan, Deborah. Welcome. Oh. <laughs> Let's okay. go ahead and starting with those. Uh, for you third tiers, remember you do get a custom shout out. Do you want to plug a small business, a charity, your friend, what whatevs, whatever you so choose. Yeah, totally. And welcome everyone. If you're new here, hey. I'm Rebecca. I'm Rachel her twin sister and we love true crimes especially ones with a twist and we hate the people responsible you know for them right for them sure and most people in general they're just the worst <laughs> for real people prove that time and time again <laughs> yep i'm going hair down today because i look the exact same in every single zoom <laughs> you just wear the same thing over and over no, well, yeah, usually. I mean, I went on a run. That's why I'm in a, this. But no, my hair's always up, always in a, you know, in glasses. And then Me we too. get comments on TikTok like, whoa, I did not expect y'all to look like that. And we're like, what does that mean? What do y'all think that means? I'm like, well, no, we, what does it mean? No, what does it mean? Because <laughs> are we less frumpy or more frumpy than they imagine? More, I think. Oh, shit. I mean, it's like. You know. She never answered that girl who said that. It's like, whoa, That's I was not expecting y'all to look like that. I'm like, oh, why? I'm gradually getting fatter with each recording. <laughs> Maybe that was well, it. Yeah, well, the fact that she never replied tells me it's it's not in the good way. I tell you that. Oh, but, shit. You're right. I mean, for the most part, I don't care. But listen, I clean up well. I just usually don't have a lot of makeup on during the day when I'm working. No, yeah, me neither. So, We're doing this on a night out, please. Oh, my God. If I was about to go to dinner or something, you better hold on to your fucking hat. Yeah. Cute as shit. <laughs> all right. I'm ready. Anyway, tell me all about it. I'm telling you about Lori Slisinski. Okay. My sources are 48hourswhjl.com and cbs.com. W-H-J-L. Oh, it's like a local news affiliate. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Okay. Lori and her family originally lived in New York, but relocated to rural Alabama when Lori was 13 years old. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> it's just a critical year. Can you oh, imagine having to, to be switch 13, school. switch yeah. schools like out of state away from your friends? I would have pitched a damn fit. Yeah. Well, she thrived. She was valedictorian of her high school and she went to nearby Auburn University. I think she was from Opelika. I was just about to ask and then I was going to guess. She from Opelika? Yeah. It, actually, a lot of um, articles didn't say. A lot of people in the grander audience likely won't hear of a small town. I feel like articles just don't put it. They're just like, rural Alabama. Yeah, I but guess. digging. I was like, I want to say it's Opelika. Well, I'm shocked a local, even Alabama-based newspaper didn't say it. Because that's well known to Alabamians. Okay, so she went to Auburn University, and her parents bought her a mobile home in a manicured mobile home park that was common for students to live in. That is common at Auburn. Yeah. She, which I don't know anyone who lived there. I who, used to make out with a guy who lived in one. Oh, really? Who? I can't remember his name. Uh, 
<laughs> he went to, I want to say he's also from Birmingham, but didn't go to Mountain Brook. Uh, I mean, I, like he definitely didn't go to high school with us. He's from Birmingham, I think, and went to, you know, Vestavia maybe. How'd you meet him? Um, I don't know. We met at a party, I think, at a summer home, like when everyone was home for the summer. And then we went to Auburn for a football game or something, and I saw him again, and I made out with him. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> I swear to God, I only did make out with him, but I did spend the night in that, in that mobile home <laughs> just to give him a little hope. No plans of doing anything but kissing. Just a little teaser. <laughs> Just to see what he was missing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lori majored in psychology and minored in criminal justice and graduated in 2006 with honors. After oh, graduation, yeah. she got a job in Auburn at a mental health facility, which is where she met her best friend, Lindsay Braun. They hung out all the time, and on June 10th, 2006, the two girls made plans to have some drinks and watch a movie. Lori said she was going to Walmart to pick up the ingredients to, I think, Rum Runners, which is hilarious. What is that? I feel like it's one of those, like, shooters you get in college, like a redheaded slut, but they are going to just drink them and watch movies. Oh, my God. Right? That is so funny. Rum maybe runners. I'm wrong. Or maybe it's like a tropical. I mean, it's definitely like a tropical islandy drink, I feel like. Sounds know. like it. Um, and they, Lori had planned to be at Lindsay's place around 630. That day, Lori was hanging out with their mutual friend, Rick Ennis. He worked at the local bowling alley that they all went to, which is how they met. And they were just friends. Lori kind of felt sorry for him because he had no family and even invited him to spend Christmas with her family in 2005. Then that night after Rick left, Lori called Lindsay when she was about to leave her trailer and said that she was heading to Walmart for the to get the mixers. Shortly after, Lindsay got another call from Lori, but when she answered, it was silent. It was as if Lori butt-dialed her. Hours go by and Lori is a no-show. Lindsay thought this was really weird considering Lori had literally called her as she was walking out the door. They figured maybe she had a family emergency or something really last minute happened. And she figured she found out in the morning and just went to bed. The next morning, she tried calling Lori several times, left her um, voicemails on her landline, but she didn't answer. The following morning was a Monday, and she didn't show up for work. So Lindsay texted Rick and asked if he had seen or heard from her and said that she was getting nervous. And he said that he hadn't seen her since the day they were hanging out, but now he was getting worried too, so keep him posted, blah, blah, blah. And they're just friends, Rick and Lori? Okay. Yeah, just friends. Okay. The next day, when she didn't show up for work again, Lindsay went to her house, and the door was unlocked, which Lori never did. And what really caught her off guard was that Lori's dog, Peanut, who's a Yorkie, was in his crate, and the crate was completely clean. The bowls were full. He seemed okay and happy, yeah. like someone had been taking care of him. That's weird. Yeah. But if this were a family emergency and she had to leave town, she would have taken the dog. She was obsessed with Peanut. Mm -hmm. And she had, and she had never boarded him or left him with a sitter or anything like that. She took him everywhere. Wow. Oh, if only Peanut could talk. Oh, oh God. Another thing she noticed is that the rugs in Lori's kitchen were gone. You see, Peanut was scared to walk on the tile floor because she, he would slip. So Lori put down mats or rugs, like little rugs, across the kitchen where he could walk. Like, 
peanut and I, I think we all know peanut ain't gonna do shit to protect her That's, no, no no but it's i'm just picturing him sliding all over a kitchen <laughs> i know he's scared to walk on the towel which i'm like oh well then totally yeah peanuts no guard dog <laughs> yeah lastly she noticed that Lori's answering machine was unplugged so all the voicemails that Lindsay was leaving for her, she wasn't getting. So she calls Lori's mom, Arlene, who calls the police, and they tell her she needs to wait 48 hours. Whoa, 48? The F, this is 2006. She's like, the F I do. Plus, at this point, it's been 72 hours since anyone had seen her. So they're just being unhelpful. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's gotten like, about small town. This is probably the biggest exciting yeah. case ever auburn get it together so as laurie's parents they essentially tell them to wait and that night arlene's phone rings and it's rick who tells her that he thinks that she should know that the night laurie went missing she was doing a drug deal oh now based on i didn't know laurie but based on her personality and everything i've re read she's raised in a small town graduated top of her class didn't stray too far from home to go to college, works at a mental health facility. I just do not, something doesn't scream drug dealer to me. Sure. But he goes for it. He's, he's pulling a Hail Mary and that's what we're going to go with. Okay. On the fourth day of her disappearance, and Lori's mom's like, that doesn't seem right. So, <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you. On the fourth day of her disappearance, police get a call that there's a car and a cul-de-sac engulfed in flames. They go there, and it is Lori's. She's not inside, but this does help them snap into shape. Like, okay, this might be a possible foul play here. So cops start looking into this weird-ass drug deal accusation, found no evidence of that, obviously. Even raiding her house, they found nothing. However, they did notice some scuff marks on the wall as if someone was kicking it, like kicking the wall. Some mm -hmm. were even three to four feet high, indicating that a struggle ensued or she was being lifted up. Yeah. The cord to her landline was missing, presumably what she was bound with or potentially even strangled with. Oh, yeah. And most damning was a love letter they found from Rick to Lori on the kitchen table. Well, I haven't been feeling good about Rick this whole time anyway. I'll tell you that right now. I know. I wasn't either. What she did tell Lindsay about, and she told Lindsay that she told him she didn't feel the same way. So she rejected Rick. Immediately, this makes him look suspicious. So cops interview him about three times in a week and notice he does have scratches on his arms, but claims he doesn't know where they came from. They have no body, so they can't prove it came from Lori and they can't find any other evidence that he did it. So they can't arrest him. And before you know it, literally the following week, he moves out of Auburn to Huntsville, Alabama, and the case goes cold. What? So at this point, I like almost stopped reading. I was like, okay, well, I know who did it. So uh, yeah. But there is a bomb drop, so sit tight. Okay. I'm waiting for Rick to be like, oh, those scratches were from consensual sex that I had with Lori. <laughs> right. Sure. It went wrong. Right. Blah, blah. The old consensual sex thing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. So 2016, 10 years after she went missing, a detective in Auburn, Mark Whitaker, started a cold case unit and reopened Lori's case, Rick being number one suspect. He goes through the file and notes of what they found in Rick's car back then, which was cleaning supplies, knife, and furry handcuffs. Oh, I Lord. I don't know. Stupid. He also looked at pictures of Rick 
that they took right after the murder during his interviews. And they he sees all the scratches on his arms. But the most telling is a very distinctive thumbprint on his hand <laughs> of what appears to be someone either trying to get away or loosen his grip. Very distinct. Ooh. This is all circumstantial, so nothing to really rest him on. But with this plus the love letter, it's fairly obvious he is a very viable suspect. Mm. The fact that they've reopened this, the case started spreading all over town and hitting the news. And this is when a former roommate of Rick's calls police and says years ago after the murder, Rick gave him some items that he was no longer needed and he still has them. Ooh. So police go there to see what they were. And sure enough, it's the three rugs in Lori's kitchen. Shut up. Like, why would you not throw those out? But whatever. I'm not here to tell you how to get away with stuff. Oh, my so God. Beautiful. He just, like, gave them to his roommate? Yeah. I was like, I don't need these anymore. Okay. There's probably blood fibers on them. So, here, you can have them. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Then they found a hot item <laughs> when Whitaker's partner called him at 1 a.m. and said, there's an unopened envelope in the case file. And when he opened it, it was DNA results from the crime scene. Wait, just, what? Just collecting dust. Back then, uh, yeah, 2006. Sealed? Yeah. In 2006, they sent, it off, they sent off the DNA that they collected from the crime, crime scene. But by the time the results came in, they had no viable suspects and it was kind of going cold. So they just shoved it in a case file. How uh, irresponsible uh, is that? Auburn police must be so busy. Oh, they're so busy with their underage drinking and their fraternity their, parties. Their MIPs and their loud band parties. Uh-huh. Like, my God. How, I was like, what the hell? So Whitaker's team opened it. And sure enough, Rick's DNA was 100% match for sperm found in Lori's sheets, blood found on her carpet, and blood found on the outside of her door. I... I'm so pissed on behalf of Lori's family. I know. Like for 10 years, that was like the most solvable, easy, cut and dry, done. There we go. 10 years. They're like, but we don't feel like solving it. Right. I don't want to open this envelope. It's one envelope away. One rip of an envelope. Also, his DNA was found on a rolled cigarette near the burning car. So it's just even more like, all right, you have been all over this scene. This is not. I kind of forgot about the burning car. Uh Uh-huh. 12 years after her murder. There was finally enough evidence. Don't worry, that wasn't the bomb. Nothing. I haven't had the bomb drop yet, so sit tight. All right. 12 years after her murder, there was finally enough evidence to arrest him. By this time, he was living in Virginia. He was newly engaged, had a steady job, and a SWAT team gets to bust in his workplace and take him back to Alabama. Oh, God, it worked. Oh! I know. (laughs) As we know... As, that's 2018, but as we know, things take forever around here. And a few years of delay after Rick's, Rick gets arrested, COVID happens. Right. Knew that was coming. And Lori's dad sadly dies from it. So he, no. But he doesn't get to see his daughter's murderer get justice. Well, murderer? We haven't found a body yet, right? Correct. You're right. We do not have a body. The trial finally starts in March 2022, and Rick's fiance stands by him. You would think, I know, I know. I mean, and you'll find out just how stupid she is. Sorry. Oh my god. You would think this trial would be pretty easy, but not having a body is always a challenge for a jury. Almost everything can be explained away. Like, yeah, say consensual sex. You could say, I don't know why my blood there paper cut. I don't know. Whatever. 
well, yeah, no proof of sex, though, so you don't have to say anything about sex. Yeah, there's sperm found in her sheets. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I'm, okay. I'm half listening to you and half still trying to think of that, think of that guy's name. <laughs> what? Uh, the one you made out with? Yeah, I'm still like, it. what was his name? All right, anyway, sorry. Several people testify, even one of Rick's friends, who apparently once asked Rick why he moved out of Auburn, and he said, because I got rid of a bitch. Oh. You punk ass little, screw you. Yeah. The defense stands by the fact that she went on a drug deal. Like, we're, we're done with that. He had no explanation as to why his blood was in the trailer, and regarding the scratches all over his hands and arms, he didn't know why back then. But now, 16 years later, he does remember that his dog actually did it. Oh. He also said the rugs that he gave his roommate, he got those from Target. They just happen to be the same patterns. Oh, good. Yeah. Target, we didn't sell those. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, the jury ain't buying it. The jury finds him guilty of capital murder. And Elena Atkinson's fiance is so shocked. She was so confident that he was innocent and would be exonerated that she planned a celebration dinner for him. That (gasps) Not happening. I mean, you'll see. She gets worse. Oh my God. (laughs) And this was facing a possible death sentence, but that would trigger years of appeals and legal wranglings. So to spare Arlene all of that, she agreed to life without parole. Yeah. And after sentencing, Rick's stepsisters actually addressed the court. Before I begin, imagine being the jury and hearing this. Oh my God. What? We would like to begin by sending our condolences to Lori's mom, family, and friends. We pray for you daily and hope today's verdict will bring you some form of peace and closure. We want to thank the members of Auburn Police Department. For what? Lee County <laughs> Sheriff Department. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for them. Do you? Um, I don't know. Wait, sorry. Who is this speaking? Rick's stepsisters. He has okay, stepsisters. For some reason, I was like, stepdaughters? Okay, stepsisters. No. Three yeah. of them. Great. We want to thank the members of Auburn Police Department, Lee County Sheriff Department, State Bureau of Investigation and its cold case unit, U.S. Marshals and all other agencies that were involved for the countless hours you put into this case. Without your hard work, Rick Ennis would still be walking the streets, living his life as if nothing happened with the potential to take another life. In March 1993, our, our lives were forever changed at the hands of Rick. When he was just 12 years old, he brutally murdered our father, Eddie Flowers, and his own mother, Dolly Flowers. What? The jury has no idea about this. Oh. Uh, they go what on are to you talk about, about. Don't worry, I'll get there. They go on to talk about how Alabama state law says children younger than 14 can't be tried as adults, but violent crimes and murder have no age limit, and Rick served only nine years. And had he served more, Lori would still be alive today. Then oh, wait, he plead. was, like, convicted of this? Yes. Then they plead for the law to change in Alabama. But before we go any further, here's the story within a story. Oh, my God. And they didn't know this? No, you can't bring it up in trial for prior convictions. But even during the investigation, they weren't like, let's just see who's in her life. They did. Oh, so what? they knew. So investigators knew that he would yeah, serve they, time they for found murder. It. Mark Whitaker found this out when he was opened that cold case unit and was like, let me reopen this file. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. March 5th, 1993, Alabama State Trooper John Clark was on patrol and got a call that a car had run off the road and hit a fence. 
When he gets to the scene, he sees a 12-year-old Rick Ennis standing there with a backpack on. He's thinking, like, this dumb kid stole his parents' car and wrecked it. Great. Mm-hmm. So he puts Rick in the back of the cop car and asks him to see his backpack. And when he opens it, he finds a huge kitchen knife, a 22 caliber, and loose ammunition. Oh, my God. The cop asks where his parents are, and Rick just looks at him completely emotionless and says, I killed him. Oh, <gasps> what? creepy as shit the cop's like what are you talking about oh and remember when Lori invited him to christmas 2005 because she felt bad he had no family it's because he killed the two most crucial people in it oh my god scary michael myers motherfucker oh yeah Mm -hmm. that's the Mm -hmm. first scene of halloween Mm -hmm. so he calls for backup the cop does and tells the team to go over to the ennis's house and at this time it just so happened they were on the, these cops were on a show called NPD. So there's footage of them entering the Ennis's house. And sure enough, two dead bodies were in the bedroom. His mom was beaten with a wooden baseball bat and they show it on TV and it's broken <gasps> in half and complete. It's red covered in blood. It is split, oh God. Yeah, split in half. It's disgusting. Then she was shot in the face. He then covered her with a velvet blanket and put a rose on her chest. Ew. Creep E. City Johnson. Yeah. His stepdad, Eddie Joe Flowers, who is apparently known as like Elvis because of his thick sideburns, and he's just a man about town, he was mm-hmm. shot in the face. God. I had noted that we're from Alabama where most people go hunting, but I do not believe any of our guy friends knew how to load and shoot a gun by themselves at 12. Yes. Yes, they did. Please. And then I, then I was like, let me just see. And I asked Barrett, what? <laughs> when did you start loading guns? Yeah, when He's like, you, I was six. When could you have like, loaded and shot a gun unsupervised? And he said sixth grade. So I'm like, oh, fuck I, me, right? I believe it. But he's never been hunting in his life, so figure that one out. I, don't know. <laughs> I was about to say I couldn't ask Payne that. He'd be like, uh, "Oh my god, I, don't know, I shot there. skeet once." Yeah, I was like, "You've never been hunting, then why are you loading guns in sixth grade?" <laughs> <laughs> Telling you, <laughs> I make Barrett sound like a prepper. He's not. You really do. I believe that, yeah, being a boy in Alabama could load a gun easily at 12. Yeah. What, do well, we know what town? Where are they from? What's NPD? Was that a I, show? I don't I like looked it town? up. It's on the 48 hours. It shows like the actual footage of NPD. I keep, I kept Googling to be like, where is the show? I want to see the full episode. And I couldn't find it. Um, rural Alabama. Rick's from. I don't know. Golly. Um, but Barrett was like, oh, well, in sixth grade, I was. If you can load a pellet gun to shoot Coke cans off the side of the wall, you could load a real gun. They're all the same. So, yeah, that's really so y'all know he's not a psychopath. <laughs> anyway, Rick told the police that he killed them because they were talking about moving and he didn't want to change schools. Um, I bet well, this cop was like, you're a little shit kid, aren't you? You're a little punk. Yeah. He also lived with the bodies for several days while going to school. Where were his stepsisters at this point? They are older. So I don't know. I think the youngest one was probably in college. Oh, damn. So when searching the Ennis home, they found a to-do list of his that included killing his three stepsisters. (gasps) 
You need oh, a reminder to do that. You need to write that down. And <laughs> what else is on the list? I want her. Yeah, what a Pick up the prescription, send Mark an email, <laughs> kill sisters. An email in 1993. All right. <laughs> kill sisters who don't live here. Like, yeah. what? You're just going to invite them over? Like, right. oh, so God. weird. Because Rick was only 12 years old, he couldn't be tried as an adult, as I mentioned before. So he was sent to juvie for nine years and was released right after he was turned 21 years old. But because child records are sealed, none of this was like by the time Lori met him in 2006, it's not like she could have Googled him. So everything is under wraps. Oh, God, I don't think that should be the case for mur like brutal murder. Like this is insane. This guy is clearly a threat to society. Right. Like, well, this goes back to Charlie Brandt's episode. Yeah. If y'all recall yeah. in episode three. Whoa. Aired on May 12, 2022. We talked about Charlie Brandt, who killed his pregnant mother at the age of 13. And then he went on to lead a very normal life, keeping this terrible secret to himself and when he was an adult in 2004, he ended up murdering his wife, Terry, and niece, Michelle, in a very, very gruesome way. Go listen if, if you have time and haven't heard it. But Michelle's family started fighting to pass Michelle Lynn Law, which would mandate the enactment of a secure database designed, managed, and used by law enforcement during an investigation of crimes that's accessible in all communities and included in this database would be all individuals, regardless of age, who have been charged with a charged or strongly suspected of a violent crime, essentially unsealing minor records if they've been convicted or suspected of violent crime or murder. Convicted for sure. I yeah. don't think they'll they would ever be like, well, we suspected this guy once, so here's everything we know. Yeah, there's well, that's no what way. they're trying to fight for. Yeah, no, I get it, but. That's so I know it is kind of bullshit. Like there's no way of knowing that a child has been convicted of murder. Unless you're, unless you're above the age of 14 in Alabama. Well, and they, the investigators knew, but like someone who's like, I don't know, never mind. I, a, a commoner couldn't Google that, like you said, and, and figured it out. Right. No. Yeah. Of course. Police but the know. investigators did know that. That's yeah. just yeah, yeah. crazy investigators that knew this that. went 10 years. You know who else knew it? Who? His fiance. Shut up. <laughs> oh, and and the three stepsisters, not to blame them. But like during this whole investigation, not to like, well, I guess they were like probably like, y'all knew that that. Yeah. Serve time. Y'all know that. Right. His fiance. But they, can't knew? Use, they can't use it against him. He's already been, he's done his time, quote unquote, done his time, nine years for that murder. They can't use it against him. They have no they had no physical evidence tied to him in Lori's case. Yeah, they did. They just didn't fucking open the envelope. But yeah, they knew him. They could suspect him all they want. His fiance did know. And she God. still stuck by him. The silly woman. She, she said the real reason he killed his mom was because she was molesting him. Bullshit. Why are you killing your stepsisters? Why are you killing your stepfather? Yeah. To get him out of the way. And why wouldn't you say that in 1993? That is a hell of a lot more logical than not wanting to switch schools. Yeah, <laughs> the 12 year old told the truth and the adult fiance is like, no, here's what you should have said. And here's what we're going to say. Right. So, no, thank you so much. What's her name? Elena. Thank Elena. you so much, Elena. She still sticks by him. I'm hey, like, let's think effort. about this. Today she does? Yes. Oh, God, someone look into this bitch, too. <laughs> That's what I said. I noted what man has wronged you in your life to make you settle for this?
Right. That's what I want to know. How is your relationship with your father? Yeah. Regardless of the reason he killed his parents, though, she knows he is capable of this. So what are the odds that it just so happened to be in love with a girl who rejected him? She's murdered. His DNA's everywhere. And he had nothing to do with it. Elena. Right. Come on. What? Well, the, um, I don't think it's even like her being dumb. I think she's fine with it. Mm, maybe. She must. I mean, come on. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, well, I guess that, there's denial if you're like just madly in love and you don't want to believe it. But like, come on. Come on. And I would think if that came out about someone I was dating or God engaged to, you just start having recurring memories of all these sick little jokes or little threats. They're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I left Alabama because I got rid of a bitch or something, you know? Yeah. Red flags everywhere. I'd be like, I can't physically go through this, but yeah, maybe Elena's different. Maybe she's writing Brian Koberger right now as we speak. A love letter. She must be. She must be. So Rick's stepsister in their statement their plea for change is to um, change the age uh, someone can be tried as an adult. So like Charlie Brandt's situation, like Michelle Lynn Law, they're, cha- they're fighting for another change. Um, Peanut went to live with her parents, and every time they mention Lori's name, he runs into her room and looks for her. No. Oh, Peanut. Peanut. Uh-huh. Sad. And, um, and that's the horrible story. Of poor Lori and poor Rick's parents. But isn't that, could you imagine being the jury and any shred of doubt you had in your decision was just reassured with that victim impact statement? I mean, yeah, they're like, did they not, did the judge interrupt them to be like, no, 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 we can't talk about that. Oh, good. No, well, the conviction, the sentence is over now. Anyone can know, but during the trial, jury cannot know. I bet they're like, that's the reassurance I needed. My God. God, that is so crazy. His sisters even talk about in those nine years he was in prison, he tried to escape twice. So <laughs> he's far from a model inmate. Like, I can't but, believe only nine years. No, that's insane. Um, okay, did they get the law changed? Or is it still? Oh, I guess that was so recent. Yeah, it was 2022. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then they never found her? No, she has never been found. Her body has never been found till this day. All the sloppiness, and he can hide a body beyond like state agencies, all all types of law enforcement in Alabama. That is insane. And he won't admit, I guess he's maintaining his innocence. That's great. Yeah, Yeah. maintaining his innocence with his fiance by by his side. So stupid. I'm just like shocked. Okay. Okay. Wow. I was like, I know where this is going, but I I didn't. Early on, I'm like, obviously, Rick Ennis did it, did it, and I'm about to quit reading about it. And then, thank God, I stuck to it. Because I was like, holy shit, this kid p- killed his parents. What a loony. Thanks, y'all. Thank y'all. Y'all are the best. People are the, worst. the worst. Bye-bye. Bye.